John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. So get your device or your Bible out. Um, the, I'm going to read through the whole chapter. This, this will not be on the screen. The remainder of the verses that we will use and the points of the sermon uh, you will find on the screen. But uh, I want you to turn in your Bible or, like I said, open that device and find your way to John chapter 4. Familiar story, but let's not let our familiarity with this story cause us uh, to miss all that God, well, not all that he wants to say, but what he wants to say in particular this morning. Because if he wanted to say all that could be said about this, um, we would be here for a while. John records these words for us, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Are you greater I mean, the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come and draw, come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one, now, and the one you have, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and true, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a, with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or what are you talking with, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did, and can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has he brought with him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the field are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because... Of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So in today's text, we find Jesus once again doing what he does, and that is he is in a conversation. Jesus loves to get into one-on-one conversations. In the preceding chapter, Jesus was engaged in a midnight conversation with a devoutly religious Jew and a learned theologian by the name of Nicodemus. Today's text, John 4, is a conversation with an uneducated and immoral Samaritan woman. The contrast between these two characters is meant to establish a truth concerning Jesus' ministry. And here it is on the screen. This is the truth concerning Jesus' ministry. In John chapter 3, when... Nicodemus comes to Jesus at midnight, we learn a valuable truth that there is no one beyond the need of grace. There is no one beyond the need of grace. Religious people sometimes believe that they are beyond the need of grace, but John 3 reminds us that there is not one of us that is beyond the need of grace. But John 4 really reaches out and, 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 and really hits home for most people because we much more readily identify ourselves with a woman at the well than we do at the, uh, uh, at, than we do of Nicodemus at midnight. And that is there's no one beyond the reach of grace. There's no one beyond the reach of grace. What is also striking about these two dialogues is Jesus' remarkable ability to be at home with each and to, be, and to present the good news of salvation in a way that spoke to their individual yet universal need. She was lost in her rebellion, right? And yet he was lost in his religion. Jesus' revelation of himself to this woman demonstrated that God's saving love, listen, knows no limitations. It transcends all barriers. The barrier of race, 
the barrier of gender, the barrier of ethnicity, and the barrier of religious tradition. In contrast to human love, divine love is indiscriminate and all-encompassing. The story of the Lord's encounter with the woman at the well unfolds in three scenes. The encounter, scene one, the exchange, scene two, and then scene three, the experience. By the way, this is the longest conversation or discourse that Jesus has with any individual in your Bible. So let's look at first scene one. Jesus encounter, uh, Jesus encounter with the Samaritan. His encounter with this Samaritan. I love this next truth about Jesus. This encounter occurs because Jesus pursues Samaritans. This encounter occurs because Jesus pursues Samaritans. He has the Roscoe Pico train. He's in hot pursuit. C.S. Lewis called him the hound of heaven. The phrase had to shows that Jesus pursues Samaritans. Now, John frequently uses this verb, had to, uh, in his gospel. As a matter of fact, in John 3, 14, 9, 4, 10, 16, 12, 34, and chapter 20, verse 9, this verb, had to, appears. It's one of John's favorite verbs to talk about Jesus. And the reason that is, is because what, Jesus, what John shows us about Jesus is that Jesus was a man on a mission. He was a man on a mission. And the reason why John, the reason why Jesus had to go to Samaria to meet this woman is because this was the will of God for Jesus. Look, look down in chapter 4, verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, on his return to Galilee, Jesus had to. The Lord was compelled to pass through Samaria and stop in a certain village because he had a, a divine appointment there. He had to pass through because Jesus seeks those who were lost. He had to pass through because it's not right for living water to be withheld from those who were thirsty. He had to pass through because this woman's name had been penciled in the Savior's divine appointment book in eternity past. There was a divine appointment. Has there ever been a time in your life where you just had to? You just had to go and speak to that friend, or you had to go and across the street and speak to that neighbor, or you had to go and do blank because you were compelled by divinity. You were compelled by destiny. Something in you was driving you in that direction. But you know, there's something else interesting about divine appointments, just as a sidebar here. There are times when divine appointments happen, and we don't feel compelled. We don't feel like we've got a had to. We just happen to be there, and it happens. 
Have you ever had that kind of divine appointment? Where it just happens. I'll never forget being in the Atlanta airport coming back from uh, Haiti with um, uh, Lamar Lines, and it had been a long trip. We were worn out and ready to get back home, but we still had a connecting flight out of Atlanta back to Birmingham, and we were hungry because we had been eating beans and rice all week, and we were ready to have something besides bean and rice and plantain bananas and uh, oatmeal. That's about all we had had for the week. And, uh, you know, we were trying to figure out at, over in Atlanta what, at the airport what restaurant we would go into. And there's no lack of choices there. And as we came up the escalator, there was a restaurant right in front of us. And so we said, look, let's just let's go to this one. It's right here. We don't have to look. So we, we, we went into the TGI Fridays there, got a booth, sat down. And we were kind of talking. We were just kind of debriefing about the trip and the, the sermons that we had preached and how God had worked in the, uh, the, the various uh, services that we had had. And um, I had noticed, or I had not, but Lamar had noticed that our, uh, our waitress had kind of been watering around our table, not necessarily being a good waitress as much as it was. She was kind of just eavesdropping on our conversation. And Lamar asked me the question, and he said, well, what are, you, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I told him what, uh, I, was, I was getting ready to tell him what I was preaching on, and a voice over my left shoulder said, yeah, by the way, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I turned and looked, and there was our waitress, and so I told her what I was preaching on, and as I was telling her that, she kind of eased her way into uh, a chair at our table, and with tears running down her face, she started telling us all that was going on in her life and the difficulties that she was facing and the hardships that she was having to endure. Some of those not of her own making, and yet some due to some choices that she had made. And in that divine moment, in the busiest airport in the world, in a very cramped and tight TGI Friday Uh, we got to share with this young lady, and not only share with her, but to pray with her uh, there at our table. There are moments where you are compelled by something to go, a had-to moment. And then there's some moments that God just plants you in without your knowledge because God has a divine appointment waiting for you because he wants to do something in someone's life. Jesus, in his pursuit of Samaritans, he is not hindered by locality. He's not hindered by this woman's locality. Scripture says he had to pass through where? Samaria. His had to was compelled by her need. Jews didn't take this route. They did not take the direct route. They would take the indirect route. The route that Jesus took was uh, uh, three days to cross through Samaria, but the average Jew would take the indirect route around Samaria, which would take six days. Because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans, as we know. 
But Jesus is not going to allow her locality, where she is located, to keep him from coming to her. I would encourage all of us to be careful of places that God wants us to go, but yet we keep ourselves from going because of fill-in-the-blank reason. Well, we don't need to go over into that area. That's a real dangerous area. Or we don't need to go to that country because that country is not uh, very welcoming to Christians. We probably need to stay off that side of town because the crime is so high. Jesus is not hindered by where she is located. He's also not hindered by her nationality. Jews hated Samaritans to the degree that, as I said, instead of taking a three-day trip, they would take a six-day trip. But so great was their disdain for the Samaritans that the stricter Jews avoided traveling through Samaria altogether. They, They wouldn't get anywhere near Samaria. They didn't want to have anything to do with Samaritans at any level, at any point. Again, I would encourage us to guard our hearts against becoming people that do not go to other people because of their nationality. We've done a great job in our country of making sure that we keep Our church is very national. The Hispanic church, the Chinese church, the Korean church. Many of you have been exposed to the ministry of Clarkston International Bible Church. And I've talked, and as many as you probably have done as well, talked to the missionary there. And out of all the times we've been to Clarkston, the the one time I would like to go to Clarkston, I've never been able to go. And that is the one Sunday out of the year when those nine different uh, national churches that gather every Sunday on the same campus, but yet worship in different locations on that campus, gather together in the same room, under the same roof, and they worship together. And then lastly, Jesus is not hindered by his physicality. Jesus was not hindered by her locality or nationality, and he's not hindered by his physicality. Look what it says. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was the sixth hour. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not give up. How many times have we been stopped in our going because of our physicality? We're tired, we're weary, we're worn out. And we just don't go. Don't get me wrong, there's a time for rest. There's a time that we need to pull aside and recharge our batteries and, 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 and holiday or vacation or whatever word you want to use 
for it. But how many of us are really weary from doing good? Most of us have grown weary because we spend our time in doing what we shouldn't do. Maybe not doing what is bad, but just not doing what is best. Jesus had to go, and he was not going to let his physical condition keep him from going. You see, the stage was set. Jesus was in the right place at the right time for an encounter in God's will. He was, in reality, keeping a divine appointment that he himself had made before the foundation of the world. This divineness of, the, the divineness of this appointment is seen in these facts. Now listen, if you don't believe that this is not a divine appointment, here are the facts. Number one, Jesus is setting at the well. That's fact number one, this is a divine appointment. You say, well, how, how does that make it a divine appointment? Men did not go to wells, except for one reason. Anybody know why a man in the Bible would go to a well? If you know your history of Jacob, why did Jake, Jacob went to a well twice in his life? Does anybody know why Jacob went to a well twice? He was looking for a wife. It's the only reason why a man went to a well in the Bible. He was looking for a woman. Why did Jesus go to the well? He was looking for a woman, not to marry, but to save. The truth is, I mean, uh, the, 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 the other part that we know this is a divine appointment is that women drew water in the cool of the evening. We know this from Moses' writing in Genesis chapter 24, verse 11. It says, And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the, even, at the time of evening, the time when women went out to draw water. So Jesus is there. That's, that, that, that lets us know it's a divine appointment. Men only went, there, went to wells looking for women. Women didn't come at, the, at noontime to draw water from a well. They came in the cool of the day, not the heat of the day. So if you were a man looking for a woman, you would not go to the well at noon because no women would be at the well at noon. They would come later in the afternoon. All of this lets us know that this appointment is divine. You see, this encounter does not occur without divine appointment. There's not enough randomness in the world to bring this together. This woman came at high noon, perhaps because of her desire to avoid public shame. What was so unusual was that this woman came from such a long distance to this well when there were other sources of water closer to the village. Her situation was so severe that she would rather walk the extra distance in the hottest time of the day than face the hostility and scorn of the other women at the closer well later in the day. So that's scene one. Scene two is, let's look at Jesus' exchange with the Samaritan. Jesus has this exchange, this dialogue, this conversation with a woman. And it starts by Jesus making a probing statement. Jesus makes a very probing statement. He gets right into the middle of her business. 
Why does Jesus make this probing statement about water? Why does he begin this dialogue about water? Well, one, he's thirsty, right? He's been traveling a great distance. He's, he, he has a, a, a human desire for water. But Jesus is really after much more than this. Because, listen, it's, Jesus had probably, probably been walking about six hours by this time. No doubt that he was thirsty. But do not forget something that we already know about Jesus. His, his asking for water is greater, it has a greater reason than he was thirsty. Jesus had gone 40 days and 40 nights without food or water, right? Y'all remember that? So Jesus already has, he's already laid out for us. He has the ability to go longer than six hours without water or without being thirsty. So Jesus uses a physical need to address a universal spiritual need. He's taking a universal physical need and he's using it to address a universal spiritual need. And Jesus begins his exchange by making this probing statement. Give me a drink. That alone in that culture was a shocking request. It, it, it breached all social constructs. Why? Because listen, now imagine this. Men did not talk to women in public at all. As a matter of fact, men in public did not even speak to their wives. Most significant of all of this, of, of all in this situation, is that Jews customarily wanted nothing to do with Samaritans, but Jesus shatters all of those barriers. And listen, Jesus, I mean, the text, look at what it says. It says that, uh, um, that they didn't have any dealings, right? In verse 9, that Jew, uh, Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. That word dealings there literally means that um, they would not use the same utensils, which means they wouldn't drink out of the same cup or the same uh, bucket. But Jesus was the infinitely holy God in human flesh. And there was nothing that Jesus could do that could ever defile him. You see, here's what Jesus is doing. All throughout the Bible, do you, and, and we've talked about this before, don't drink out of the cup. Don't drink out of her bucket. Don't have anything to do with her. You'll be defiled. Don't touch the girl, Jesus. She's dead. You'll be defiled. Jesus, don't touch the leper. Why? Because you will be defiled. And do you remember what happens? Jesus touches the dead and they come to life. He touches the leopard and they are healed. Why? Because Jesus has come to take our defilement on himself so that we will no longer be defiled and yet remains undefiled. Jesus, Jesus used a universal physical need to address a universal spiritual need. Jesus continues to use Old Testament imagery of water to explain salvation. God refers to himself in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, for my, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns, what? That can hold no water. Jeremiah also tells us in chapter 17, verse 3, those who forsake the fountain of living water 
shall be put to shame. But I love what the Lord says in Isaiah 55, 1. Look at this. It says these words, come, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. Now watch this. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Why? Because it's free. And even Jesus said, hey, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask him and he would give you. What is Jesus referring to? Isaiah 55, 1. I'm the living water. All you have to do, if you knew, what does he say? The gift of God, which was before you, you would ask him and he would give you. It's free. But it requires that we must ask. Jesus doesn't offer her a well, right? Jesus didn't say, well, look, I got a different well. Jesus offers her a spring. Wells must be dug. They are man-made. Jesus is not a well. He's a spring or a fountain. A spring or a fountain requires no work. They're just natural. They're free. Water must be drawn from a well. Fountains freely flow. There is also, there is no drawing only, there's no drawing from a fountain or spring, only drinking. Jesus had spoken to her about the water of eternal life, and she seemed willing to accept it. But listen, but no conditions had been stated. As with any lost sinner, this woman needed to understand two crucial issues before she could receive the king, before she could receive the living water of eternal life. Here they are, namely, the reality of her sin and the identity of the Savior. In these last two points, Jesus addresses both of those issues. So Jesus makes this prophetic statement to her. He makes a prophetic statement to her. What is that prophetic statement? Go call your husband. Now, why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus, is Jesus being mean? Is he being spiteful? Is he being hateful? Is he, is he trying to embarrass or shame this woman? Go call your husband because he knows she doesn't have a husband. And he also knows that she has been divorced five times. And remember in that culture, women never divorce men. Men are the only ones that could divorce uh, they, could, they were the only ones that could divorce. So she had been rejected by five different men and now was living with a man that would not even take her as his wife. What is he doing here? Jesus is doing, just simply doing, accomplishing one task. He's exposing her sin. Listen, you cannot get saved without the exposure of your sin. You must be exposed as what you are, and that is a sinner. Even if you know that you're a sinner, sin must be exposed. Since the woman failed to grasp the nature of water, he spoke of, Jesus moved the conversation to her need for repentance and salvation from sin. His command, go call your husband and come here, exposed the heart of her issue. It's her sin. Those who truly thirst for righteousness, God provides in salvation, will confess and forsake their sins. Back to Isaiah 55. Listen to these words as it continued. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God. Look, 
for he will abundantly pardon. For he will abundantly pardon. Jesus did not come to grant sinners perfection in the next life while leaving them to continue in sin in this one. On the contrary, Titus 2.14 says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself for a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what did Jesus, why did Jesus give himself? To redeem us, to make us his own possession, a people zealous for good works. As a result, those who come to him and truly receive the living water of eternal salvation have what Paul says in Romans 6, 18. They have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Jesus responded to a woman's interest by offering her the opportunity to confess her sin and receive forgiveness and be purified and delivered from iniquity to righteousness. So what was her response? Typical. Her response was quite typical. (laughs) She tried to elude what Jesus was asking her. Now, here's what's interesting. What she said was not a lie, but it wasn't altogether the truth. She said, I don't have a husband. Right? Go call your husband. Tell him to come here. Well, I don't have a husband. Her desperate attempt to conceal her sin from Jesus was futile. Jesus' rebuttal forces her to face it. What does he say? Yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. While commending her for, un, for her truthfulness, as far as that went, Jesus nonetheless unmasked her sin. Shaken by Jesus' amazingly accurate knowledge of her sinful life, the woman said, look what she said, I perceive that you're a prophet. By calling him a prophet, she affirmed that his knowledge of her sordid lifestyle was accurate. No longer did she attempt to hide her sin. Rather, this statement constituted a confession by which she was turning, beginning to turn from her sin, hoping to receive the water of eternal life. But here's the problem. This, this is crucial. Watch real quickly as we come to the, to the end of this sermon, of this story. Watch. She's exposed. She tries to elude. But Jesus corrects her, right? And then just as the realization is setting in, there's one last attempt to come at salvation from the wrong direction. What does she do? She tries to experience salvation through, through religious ritual, right? All of a sudden, she says, well, uh, where's the right place to worship? You know, we say one thing, Gerizim, you guys say Jerusalem. Where, where's the appropriate place to worship? And what does Jesus say? Neither.
Why? What is Jesus driving after? Jesus is trying to say, look, the place of worship is no longer going to be a place, but it is going to be in you. Why? Because what is Jesus saying? Is it the temple in Gerizim or is it the temple in Jerusalem? That's the argument. And Jesus says, neither one of those places are the appropriate place. Why? Because I am going to destroy the temple and you will now be the temple. Jesus extends to her salvation from her sin through personal repentance and a relationship with the Father. Jesus clarifies that salvation is not found in religious ritual, but in a personal relationship. What does he say? God is no longer going to dwell in temple made with hands, but in you and I. That's the personal relationship he's offering to her. And so what does she do? She entrusts herself to Christ for salvation. Look down at verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It is at this point she entrusts her life to Christ. Jesus is saying the one you're looking for is the one you're looking at. Look down in verse 29. Let's put this together. Verse 29, she says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this one be the Christ? Then down in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What did she say? He told me all that I ever did. What did she say back in verse 25? How do we know that the Messiah is coming? He will tell us all things. So she is confirming the Messiah is here. Why? I know that we know that the Christ is coming because he would tell us all things. And now what is she saying? He's told us all things. It's him. He's here. The story, listen, does not focus on what she has done, but on what Jesus has done. So let me give you this this last heading and then four little four quick applications. So let's look at her experience with Jesus. Okay, we, we see the encounter. Now, let's look at the experience. What's the outcome? Number one, she was different. She was different. Genuine saving faith always makes a person different. We see an immediate change in her life. This woman who once was avoiding the townspeople, what is she doing now? She's running back into town saying to everybody, come and see. I mean, think about how, I mean, this woman is waiting to the middle of the day to go out to avoid everyone. And now she's, after meeting Jesus, she's running back into town and she's like, come to everyone and meet this man. She's different. That's what happens when you experience the real Jesus. Number two, she was determined. She was determined. This experience made her determined in telling and bringing others to Jesus. She went back and she told everyone in the town. She was a determined woman. Third, she was dedicated. She was not only determined to tell everyone, but she was dedicated in telling everyone her story of redemption. What'd she say? Come see a man who's told me everything that I ever did. 
And then lastly, she made a difference. She made a difference. This dedication made a difference in that many believe. Though they were influenced by the woman's testimony, hearing, of Je- hearing from Jesus himself was the clincher. So they were saying to her, watch, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this, is, that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Listen, testimonies are powerful ways, are, are, are used in powerful ways by the Holy Spirit. But do not forget these words from Paul, okay? Because a testimony by itself is not sufficient. Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 10. How then, or verse 13 says, Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed uh, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Jesus told them what? Lift up your eyes. Didn't he say that? He said, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white for harvest. They will come. Listen, they will come if we will go. Tell them that he knows everything that they have done. And yet he came. Listen, if we go and tell, they will come. Not all of them, but they will come. And what are we going to tell them? Tell them that he knows everything they have done, and yet he came. Tell them that he has an intimate knowledge of their sin, and he has not repelled, for it is the very reason he was compelled to come. Tell them that Jesus came and drank their cup. You remember what I told you about dealings? That Jews didn't have dealings? Listen, Jesus came and he's had dealings with us. Jesus came and there's a cup. That was designated for all to drink from. It's called the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus came on our behalf and he took the cup of God's wrath and he drank that cup for us. Why? So that we could drink from the spring of eternal life. So here's my closing statements to you. If there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted Christ as Savior, then listen. The Bible says it very clearly. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus has come to your well today. He is offering you himself, the living water, and this offer is without price. It's a free gift, but you must ask for it. Remember, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him for it. Following Christ doesn't mean you won't thirst again. It means that you will never be without a supply for your thirst. It means that you will have a constant supply of thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying water. And then, Christian, are you ready to leave this place committed to living like the Christ of our story? If so, you've missed the whole point of the text. 
If you leave here today and you say, yes, I'm ready to go be like Jesus. I am ready to go find people at the well. You have missed the point of the text. The text does not teach us to go live like Jesus. It teaches us that we are the woman and that we are to go and live like her. You get the point? The text doesn't say go and live like Jesus because you're not Jesus in the story. You're the woman in the story. The point of the story is now go live like her. And if you go and live like her, your living will reflect Jesus. She was an outcast. She went to the people that she was an outcast of and said, come and hear, come and see, come and listen to a man that had told me everything that I'd ever done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that we would see this morning that the intent of this story is for us to look at Christ and say, yes, let me go be like Christ. The intent of the story is for us to find ourselves as that woman at the well who is in desperate need of saving. And Father, for some of us this morning, that's where we are right now, in desperate need of saving. And so we ask that you would save. But Father, for the vast majority of us, we've, we've already been found and we've been saved. And we need to look at this story and see ourselves as that woman that's been found and been saved. And now we need to follow and live like her. And we need to go back and we need to tell others. There is a man who knows all about us. And yet he is not repelled by us. But it is our sin that has compelled him to leave heaven and come to earth. And he has had dealings with us. He has taken the cup. That is ours, the cup of God's wrath. And for all who will believe on him, he will drink that cup dry. And he will give to us a spring that will quench our thirst and give us eternal life. Father, help us to live like the woman at the well. In Christ's name, amen. I want you to stand and let's sing this morning.